Blog Talk Radio. Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer Radio Show, brought to you by Combox Feeds. My name is Andy Schneider, but most know me as the Chicken Whisperer, author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, national spokesperson for the USDA Biosecurity for Birds program, and editor-in-chief of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Each week, I welcome experts in their field to share their knowledge about different topics, including backyard poultry, show poultry, heritage poultry, gardening, cooking, and, of course, living a self-sufficient lifestyle. Be sure to visit us online at chickenwhisperer.com, where you can follow us on Twitter, become a fan on Facebook, and subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer magazine. Once again, I would like to thank all of you for tuning in to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. Kalmbach. Kalmbach, Kalmbach. From our family to yours, feed your chickens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Visit our website at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H feeds.com. Or order today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of the Chicken Whisperer. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We're all welcome here shortly. Poultry scientist and professor, Dr. Bridget McRae, a wonderful, wonderful young lady. And she's going to be sharing with us three very interesting uh, research studies. And uh, uh, we really like it today. It wasn't really supposed to be um, poultry research translated by any means. But uh, she she had uh, recently read them and thought they'd be very interesting and would interest a lot of our listeners. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, she told me on the way here uh, what they were, I've since forgotten, but they, the three were very interesting. I'm anxious to hear uh, something about pastured poultry, something about continual feeding. Anyway, so, some good ones that would interest our backyard poultry-keeping fans out there. So uh, we've got a great show. So get those chicken whisper pen, paper, and pencil and um, papers out, and you'll be able to take notes as soon as we bring her on when she calls in to the switchboard here in just a few minutes. So thanks very much uh, for tuning in. Uh, if you are living under a rock and you don't maybe follow us on Facebook like you should uh, or, or have time to, then uh, I got news for you. Um, avian influenza, high path, has reared its ugly head again this year. And um, 
I've been posting about that over on our Facebook page. As of today, I don't believe there have been any new cases, any updated cases from the initial findings. So, um, and, and I guess part of the good news was uh, eight out of the ten locations ended up testing for low path avian influenza, and then um, and then the uh, the other case ended up being. Um, a high path. And so what they're thinking what happened is the low path avian influenza was probably there kind of hanging out uh, and then mutated into a high path and got spread to the other barn. Could be by rodents, could be by wind, um, dust, you know, whatever the case may be, workers going from place to place. Um, so, so that's, that's I guess, if there's any good news out of that, that would be it. Uh, the majority of the cases were low path, and they think it mutated to high path, and that's and then they kind of hopefully contained it, hopefully nipped it in the bud for that specific um, outbreak. There were 156,000 laying hens that were depopulated because of its close proximity of the turkey flock that tested positive. So, um, and when I talked to the USDA a couple of days ago, it, it was, they had uh, the laying barn was very close with the laying hens to the turkeys that tested positive for the avian influenza. So it ended up being a, you know what, better safe than sorry, um, let's go ahead and depopulate the hens as well because we don't want them to be contaminated and then somehow spread it and get it into the wind, get in, you know, and then who knows where it goes. So that was a decision made by both the farmer and the um, USDA both. They've also got a the initial six-mile area, six kilometers, I think, technically, uh, area, and actually the state vet has extended that out another six miles, 12-mile area. Uh, they've apparently knocked on about 900 doors, um, and they are actually, they were looking for to see if anybody in that area had backyard chickens. Uh, there, last time I checked, 25 or 27 cases of, of backyard chickens, uh, residences with backyard chickens, I should say, in that um, surveillance zone. And those were, uh, many of them, uh, if not all of them, were tested. And uh, I haven't heard any of the test results as far as coming back. So I'm um, just kind of giving you updates from what I remember without having to pull up all the uh, information. You can read all of this over at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer, trying to keep you up to date with uh, real-time, reliable information. So you got to tread lightly when you're on those blogs and forums out there. So, um, And uh, so far, so good as far as containment, um, but it is the season. Do you remember back in December, before the end of the year, everybody was starting to breathe a sigh of relief, and I said, wait, 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 not so fast, folks. Uh, last year, the first case of avian influenza was December the 10th, December 12th, and I reminded you of that on that day. And I said, we're not out of the woods yet. And in fact, we're just really getting into the woods uh, with this. And sure enough, we have this. So hopefully they, they and this year, they've got more more machinery to do the depopulation. Uh, they're taking it more seriously. Last year, I think they kind of got surprised. And all of a sudden, the numbers really overwhelmed them uh, as far as the response, the time of the response, the time they're trying to get everything tested and done and even start the depopulation within a 24-hour period. 
this year. So uh, hopefully due to the fast response and the, the, the equipment they have and what we learned from last year, uh, they'll try to at least this one area have it contained, we hope. And they're still learning about how this is spread. You know, last year when we had uh, one of the chief vets from USDA on that was on the ground in Iowa dealing with this, uh, in fact, we re uh, broadcast that episode on Tuesday. So if you want to know a lot of interesting facts about high path avian influenza, you can go and listen to this past Tuesday's broadcast. Now, the details are from the outbreak last year, but the information about avian influenza, how it spread, and questions like, well, um, why do we have to kill them all? Can't we see if maybe a couple live and, and then breed those birds because they obviously are immune to it or can they get immunity? And, and I, I responded to one of those questions. It's very hard to um, uh, for a bird to get immunity when they're dead. <laughs> It's kind of hard to get immunity when you're dead, and it, it just kills so fast um, regarding that. And you, you want to try to do this to, to stop the spread, but if you want to know really from the top of the top, uh, from at least last year's outbreak and even influenza and some of those – you know me, I ask the tough questions um, – to the USDA avian vet, vet and PhD, by the way, he was, Dr. Shear. Uh, that would be a really good show to listen to this past Tuesday's episode, which was a rebroadcast. So we got that going on. Uh, when I bring Dr. McCray on, I'll go and look and see if there's been anything new um, as far as updates on it, and I'll let you know before the episode is over. But as of right now, that's uh, the information that we uh, that we have for that outbreak, and hopefully it'll be contained, and maybe we won't see any more for the rest of the year. A lot of people are kind of, oh, no, Andy. But uh, we're, we're keeping our fingers crossed. And like I said, you never know. And this this – May this outbreak now may get all the surrounding states and and everywhere else people say hey you know this this is we need to crack down on our biosecurity we need to start washing those feed truck tires and wheels we need to make sure the UPS driver only stops at the front gate and doesn't come all the way up here we need to make sure that you know all this stuff and get our biosecurity plan a, a little bit more cranked down if you will. Uh, since we now have seen it this year, especially if you're close by. I think uh, this outbreak only occurred, uh, I don't know, not too far from, from the Kentucky line. And uh, But anywho, it, it is what it is, and you can get all that information over on our Facebook page, and I will keep you up to date with all the curtain, uh, pertinent factual information regarding that. Uh, so, um, hey, we got Dr. McCray. She has called in. We're going to go to her right after the first commercial break for the show, and we'll come back and we're going to be – so during the commercial break, get that pen, paper, and chicken whisper spiral notebook out so you can take some notes on uh, the three research studies that we're going to be talking about today during the show. So stay with us. We'll be right back with Dr. McCray. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. 
They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Give the full a day directly into their water is all it takes for a stronger immune system. Introducing ePoultry, an all-natural, whey-based soluble that will help improve your flock's overall health. Made by farmers for farmers right here in the USA. ePoultry is a safe, all-natural way to give your birds the strong immune system they deserve. Learn more and purchase at www.eanimalproducts.com. That's www.eanimalproducts.com. Want to protect your hens from the damage caused by an overly affectionate rooster? Nothing protects hens better than the Hen Saver Hen Apron. Hen Saver Hen Aprons come in several different sizes to fit both bantam and large fowl hens. They also come in several different styles and colors. Give your hens the protection they deserve by purchasing Hen Saver Hen Aprons today. 100% of all proceeds goes to provide care to rescued animals at Crazy K Farm in Hempstead, Texas. Purchase your Hen Saver Hen aprons at hensaver.com. That's hensaver.com. Ware Manufacturing has been building quality hutches since 1983. Ware manufactures modern chicken hutches, barns, pens, and nest boxes designed especially for the backyard flock. Ware offers hutches and pens for every yard size and every chicken keeper's budget. Visit their website at waremfginc.com. That's W-A-R-E-M-F-G-I-N-C.com. Or call them to find a retailer near you at one 888 824-7257 Ware Manufacturing Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with Chicken Whisper brought to you by Combot Feeds heading over to the phone lines now and we'll bring on poultry scientist and professor Dr. Bridget McRae let's give her a big Chicken Whisperer welcome Hey, Doc, how, how you are doing? you? I'm sweeter than snuff and half as dusty. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. as, as my dad would say, I'm finer than frog hair split four ways. Ooh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> you doing all right? I'm doing well. 
I'm doing good, well. I'm good. getting ready for uh, uh, some weather, and uh, which uh-huh. is a little challenging. Because each time I look at weather.com, they add a few inches. <laughs> <laughs> so my sister texted me, and she's like, um, do you have wood for your wood stove? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, uh, you know there's weather. I'm like, how could I not know there's weather coming? <laughs> so, yep, yeah. That um, way. We're looking at 12 to 18 inches, perhaps. Oh, <laughs> I know, I know. And, y'all, I grew up in California. So I'm looking at this going, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to, I don't know. And, and then I looked at weather.com and they're like, blizzard watch. I'm like, blizzards <laughs> happen in the middle, not at the edges of the country. What are they talking about? I don't know. I'm I'm not. I'm not too thrilled, but you know, it it shall come and it too shall pass. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Did did you want me to send you a bucket of the cold stuff by any chance? Um, no, it's going to get as cold as uh, it, it's a last. No, earlier this week, I guess it was earlier this week. It uh, and we're in South Florida, but earlier this week it got down to. I know all the people around the country are going, "Oh, brother!" Uh, thirty-eight actually. We had some thirty-eight overnight, but you know what? During the day, we're wearing shorts and t-shirts, so it got up to like sixty-five. Okay. Okay. Um, but now, um, it will if be. The rest of your cooler. listeners want me to send you a bucket of snow. I, I can do it. I mean, I'm. I'm <laughs> no, game. no, no. I am good. I have. I have a feeling that I will be seeing my share of snow on my spring tour when we head up to Michigan, Michigan, Wisconsin, northern Indiana, northern Illinois in March. So, um, <laughs> Good luck. Uh, I know it can, it's going to be hit or miss, and I'm hoping it's more miss than hit, to be quite honest with you. I'm not a big fan of snow and uh, yuck. But it is what it is. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll spread the chicken love uh I promise people I will not be the person out there driving in this. No way, (laughs) no how. It's not fun. It gets all muddy and yucky. Get your cars messed up, and then they rust, Mm. and the chemicals they put on the road, and then you're tracking it in, and it's wet. No thanks. There's a little half inch on the ground today when we all got up this morning. And, you know, that's just enough for on the roads that it really, you know, muckies up the outside of the car and, you know, your windshield. I was taking my students to tour a hatchery this morning, and let me tell you, they loved it. They'd never been on a hatchery tour before. So they, you know, we all come inside because it's cold, and we all come, you know, bundling in. They're like, okay, we have to put on the, the safety equipment and the the personal protect equipment because, you know, we don't want you tracking in anything in around our chicks. And I'm like, yep, that makes uh, sense. Let's put all the clothing and boots on, guys. And I'm like, oh, okay. <clears throat> so as part of that kit, there was hearing protection. They're like, what? And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> you guys don't understand. We're going to go into a room with thousands <laughs> of baby chicks. You need hearing protection. <laughs> and they're like, finally, when they got in there, they're like, 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they are so loud. I've had a mm-hmm. hundred of them in the car with me <clears throat> yep. when, um, you know, at the end of one of my, my programs several years ago. And, man, they can just be loud. A hundred of them are just obnoxiously loud. So, yeah, that was that was an interesting morning this morning, Andy. <laughs> Cold, yeah, they though. can be very, 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 very loud, especially when they get cold. They get even louder and more agitated. Ah, cold, warm me if up. If they're cold and remember, or, or hot, they, yeah. they, I call them, they turn into screamers. So <laughs> Absolutely. you can tell I remember by the touring, sound a baby chick makes if they're happy or sad. Hatchery tours are uh, cool. I remember touring Ideal Poultry. and. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, that was uh, that was sweet deal, and I actually went and purchased um, brand new boots um, for that tour, just to be honest. I had, I had undone. I had uh, had uh, my tour clothes were were dry cleaned, and then um, so I unwrapped one of those. So those were fresh and not near any poultry. And then my boots, I bought specific boots, mm-hmm. and then we still used uh, a foot bath basically before we walked yeah. back in their their area with the, the even with the brand new boots that I bought and the people who were already there went ahead and sprayed their feet again before we walked back there but it was it was fascinating the most fascinating part about that tour was watching them vent sex all of the chicks oh, about yeah a, about a thousand an hour these guys are doing it's it's yeah, fascinating they're so good yes they so are fast. it's absolutely fascinating I know it's crazy, and uh, look up a chicken's butt all day. I mean, you know. Hey. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they there. That's a skill all in itself, man. And they had mastered that skill there. That was that was fascinating. So you've got three studies you brought to share with us yeah. to, to learn about. Well, okay. I'm going to throw I'm a bit a, a bit of a question out there for your listeners. Yep. I have um, a research study starting this semester where I'm going to compare buckeye male chicks, chickens with um, broiler male chickens, and I'm having a hard time finding a place that carries both, that uh, vaccinates for Merrick's disease and also vac- vaccinates for um, coccidiosis. So if your listeners out there know of a place, tell me. Let me know. Because um, I'll be getting started in a month or so, and i got to find the, the right source of chicks. But um, so maybe your listeners know uh, of a place that can do all that, and who knew it'd be so hard to to find a place that'll sell me male broiler chicks and male buckeye chicks and um, that are vaccinated for Coxie and Merrick. So oh well. Hmm. Yes, Andy, you're right. I've got three research articles for you. The first one is uh, from the the journal Poultry Science, and it's the addition of charcoals to broiler diets did not alter the recovery of Salmonella typhimurium during grow-out. That's one title. Um, The second article um, is transfer of bioactive compounds from pasture to meat in organic free-range chickens, and the third one, uh, that last one was also uh, uh, the journal called Poultry Science. And the last one is from Journal of Applied Poultry Research, and it's called Choice Feeding of 
of protein concentrate and grain to organic meat chickens. So let's start with the first one. Um, a lot of people for a while were talking about um, biochar or charcoals and putting it in broiler diets and see if it had any sort of feasibility in producing better growth or um, this particular article wanted to see if it tackled the subject of, um, hey, does it affect salmonella? Um, the research was done at the University of Georgia, your old stomping grounds, Andy. Yeah, yeah. It, which is a great research institution, and it was the Department of Poultry Science that did the research in conjunction with the, the USDA, uh, USDA um, uh, uh, Russell Research Center, So, uh, which does a very good research through USDA ARS. So um, USDA is taking a look at um, alternative uh, products from time to time, and this is one of them. What they did is they put together two experiments. Um, they looked at feeding charcoal as a prebiotic. Um, they wanted to see, okay, are they getting salmonella from the broiler chickens during the growth period? And then, all right, is it showing up during processing? Because we know that once you open a bird up to process them, you might end up with... Um, you know, sometimes you get some spillage of the, the gut contents and that can affect the carcass. It can get on the carcass and affect um, what's on the carcass. And you buy that product, and whether it's a whole mm -hmm. carcass or cut up at the grocery store. So in experiment number one, they use something called cedar chicks. And let me explain cedar chicks. Not every baby chick that comes from the hatchery can is usually positive for salmonella, okay? Most of those chickens are negative for salmonella because the breeder flock is tested and vaccinated as a preventative measure. But working on the theory that um, occasionally you get a chick that is positive and it maybe is actively shedding salmonella in its fecal material when you put it in with the chick's around it, it may infect the chicks around it. So it's a cedar chick. Did, did I do a good job explaining that? Do you under, understand? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what they did is they took Salmonella typhimurium, and uh, that's one of the, the kinds of Salmonella that we don't like mm -hmm. because, um, you know, it's spread usually by mice, Miriam. Uh, and they infected some chicks and placed it in with its pen mates. And um, they had several pens uh, in trial one. They had a total of 672 male chicks, 21 chicks per pen, and the pens were, um, oh, one and a half meters by just over one meter. And they had 32 pens total. Um, what they did is they set up replications. Of course, you always hear me talking about replications because anything can happen once. So they had some pens that had the control diet. No, no charcoal added whatsoever. You had some mm -hmm. pens that had 0.3% bamboo charcoal. Other pens had 06 
10% bamboo charcoal, so you're gradually changing the percentage of charcoal. And those are mixed into the diets. And then the last set, the last treatment pens had 0.12% aromabiotic, biotic, aromabiotic. Yeah, I think I pronounced that correct, which is medium-chain fatty acids. Okay. So what they did, you know, they grow these chickens for a little while, and eventually what they do is they take samples of the gut. So they um, periodically uh, at week three, week four, and week six, what they do is they go into the pens and they randomly select uh, either a cedar or in in some occasions they took cedars and um, pen mates. And they humanely euthanized the birds and um, performed a necropsy. And what they wanted to do is confirm that salmonella was was colonizing the chickens at week three, week four, and week six. Um, Additionally, one of the things they do in commercial industry is instead of sacrificing birds to find out if they're carrying the organism uh, which can be costly if you add up the number of chicken houses and perhaps the frequency of sampling and so on and so forth. You can sample the litter instead. <laughs> and what they do is they they drag um, drag swabs around uh, the pens, or if you're in the commercial industry, they'll drag them around the chicken house. Um, and these drag swabs collect whatever is, you know, fecal material is on the floor, which is kind of a, a way to to see if you are um, carrying anything in the flock. So what they did is every week they sampled the pen litter. And at three weeks, um, the charcoal-fed birds has lower um, recovery of salmonella in their cecum. And, in fact, it was 37% lower. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were no differences at week four or at week six. So you're kind of going, hmm, wah, wah, wah. But still interesting. Um, and they did this through direct plating techniques. And so a couple things you're going to hear me talk about is direct plating versus enrichment. Uh, when you take a sample, like, say, directly off the ground and you add uh, just a little bit of buffer to it so you have a fluid that you can spread on the plate, that's kind of direct plating. But sometimes salmonella is injured or grumpy or um, just having a really bad day. And to see if it's really there, you have to put it in an enrichment step to to kind of give it a a, a little... Um, resuscitation before you put it on the direct plate because that that direct plate can be full of um, a, a lot of different um, materials that retard the growth of salmonella's competitors. When you're looking for salmonella, you're looking for salmonella. You want to specifically see salmonella. And sometimes if salmonella is having a really bad day, it kind of goes, I'm not even going to try to grow. I'm just going to sit here and die. And so you look at that plate and you go, oh, there's no salmonella. Well, doggone, it might have had salmonella, but it just up and died on you. So sometimes alongside with direct plating, you have to do enrichment and then do direct plating. 
which artificially inflates the numbers, but it, it gives you more of a yes-no rather than a, oh, there's this many here, okay? Hmm. So um, now that I've put my completely nerdy microbiologist hat on, let me take it back off and talk more <laughs> about the study. <laughs> um, at week six, the broilers that were fed the aromabiotic, no salmonella recovered um, with direct plating from the, the Sika. And uh, but they had eighteen uh, percent lower recovery when they enriched those samples. So you know there was salmonella there, but you could really only kind of pick it up with enrichment. So let's move on to experiment number two. Um, they doubled the number of birds just about uh, in the trial. And um, so it was a little bit bigger. They used, again, male broiler chickens. And what they did is they had the control diet, the 0.3% bamboo charcoal, but they also had 0.3% activated bamboo charcoal. And then they they, they looked at 0.3% pine charcoal, which is kind of interesting. Um, so... Again, they used cedars and mingled them with their pen mates, and they sampled at uh, weeks one and two, um, all the way through to week six. And, um, you know, they looked every week at the pH of the crop, the pH of the different parts of the gut, including the duodenum or duodenum. And they also, again, looked at the litter surface, so they did drag swabs again. Um, At the end of the growing period, the broilers were processed, and one of the nice things they have at UGA is they have a a miniature processing plant there, so when they do research studies like this, they don't have to take uh, chickens to local processing plants. Um, And, you know, since these birds were infected with salmonella, processing plants probably wouldn't be too thrilled with them showing up with all these birds that carry salmonella, so they do that in-house at the university. And so their results showed that the pen mates were colonized um, during Mm -hmm. weeks one and two. Um, They really didn't see any difference in the salmonella levels, Mm -hmm. uh, except for in the seagull salmonella levels, except for during week four when the activated bamboo charcoal was had a, a little bit lower recovery of salmonella, 18%, compared to the control, which was 88% positive with salmonella. Um, so, you know, they, they, they didn't, you know, they didn't get, you know, big hoopla, huge changes or differences, but it was a good-sized study so they could find these differences. When you look at the litter samples or the drag swabs, um, the recovery of salmonella was not significantly different between the treatments. But there was a decrease at week four, um, and, you know, they used the direct plating method. They looked at the pH of the duodenum and the crop. They really weren't different among the different treatments. Um, The crop pH for all the treatments was higher at week one compared to weeks two through six. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a minimal effect in the recovery of salmonella. Um, Charcoal had a minimal effect on salmonella recovery in the Sika. 
then when they um, they defeathered the birds, the broiler chickens, uh, they found that broilers that were fed the charcoals had a lower, a significantly lower salmonella recovery on the breast skin. So you're probably thinking, all right, breast skin? Why did you look at that? Well, if you think at how a chicken is shaped, they lay down with their breast facing the ground, which is where they also defecate. During transport, which is a stressful time, their skin is in contact with the transportation surface. We also know that they shed more bacteria during transport because it's a stressful time. And that's also a high-value cut of meat is the the breast. That's where people tend to spend the most money in the grocery store is, is for breast meat, either skin on or skin off. So that's why they looked at breast skin. So you, when you add the charcoal to the broiler feed, it didn't really or significantly affect salmonella recovery as the birds were growing, either from the litter samples, the drag swell samples, or from the cecum samples, the gut samples. But interestingly enough, there was a lower salmonella recovery from the best breast skin right after scalding and defeathering. Uh, one of the things they said in kind of a nice point that some researchers do. They say, you know, yes, we found this. Wouldn't it be interesting if we looked at it from this next step? This might be our next step. So they said, further research should be conducted to determine if the lower salmonella recovery following defeathering persists through the immersion chilling of carcasses um, in the presence of added antimicrobials, which is the current process used in um, in poultry processing uh, in many of the processing plants across our nation. So we we chill carcasses in uh, by immersing them in water. So I thought I'd share that little study with your listeners. Kind of an interesting tidbit. Um, you know, sometimes no, no, small flock owners. There's a lot. Go ahead. See, there's a lot of. There's a lot of people who uh, uh, rely on blogs and forums for their information, and based on what all you just said and said, there was a little bit of an increase in the uh, with the charcoal, with the salmonella, and, and then you know you know what we're going to hear now. You know, feed your backyard poultry charcoal, and they won't get <laughs> salmonella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Number one, it's a broiler chicken. Not everybody's raising those. And number two, it's not a cure-all. <laughs> so, yes, that's um, the problem about social media that you and I up here battle yeah. all the time. You'll that, and then now I, I'm not kidding you not that someone's going to, you know, that you're here. Oh, I, I remember charcoal <laughs> cures and prevents salmonella in no, chicken. <laughs> oh my God! And so it's like. No, but um, I want to share this information with your listeners, just so that they know what cool yeah. research is going on out there in poultry science. And please, folks, do not twist this information six ways to Sunday and make it <laughs> horrendous. And uh, oh, yeah. don't shoot yourselves in the foot, folks. <laughs> All right. Yep. This but, next. Okay. Go ahead. The, go ahead. No, I said go ahead. I'm ready. Oh, the next research article is one um, from a researcher who has, ever since I was an undergraduate, 
this researcher's been doing some really cool research with organic chickens. And this is the choice feeding of protein concentrate and grain to organic meat chickens. Um, so this researcher uh, basically knows that a lot of us go out and buy a formulated diet for our chickens, whether it's organic feed or not organic feed. Uh, we we buy it, it's already pre-mixed. We don't have to think about it. Right. Although there are some people out there who have concerns about organic feed not um, having inorganic in, or not having 100% organic nutrients, they'd rather make their own feeds. Uh, whether it's for cost savings or um, being more self-sufficient, or maybe it's a mistrust of uh, feed formulation. Everybody's got their own reasons. So um, alternative feeding methods are out there. Of course, I don't recommend them to a, uh, somebody who's just getting a few chickens for their kids and just wants an a easy solution. Um, you know, it's sometimes just easier to go get a formulated feed. But the choice method in this research offered two complementary feeds, a protein concentrate and a grain, and allowed the birds to self Select, and we all know that that um, chickens tend to be a little picky or choosy, and um, free-range birds eat a whole bunch of different things in their diets, and their diets change to meet their their nutritional needs at different stages in their life. So this was a more of a, a careful analysis of this choice feeding technique with organic meat chickens versus using a, a formulated diet. Um, the chickens or chicks were raised to 64 days old in an organic research facility, and they had outdoor access. Um, so the choice treatment was given cracked corn and separately a concentrate that was made up of roasted soybeans, fish meal, mineral, and a vitamin premix. Um, so what happened? During the trial, the choice birds self-selected a diet that was low in protein, so they only ended up using about 12% crude protein during the last week of their growth. And um, so they, they analyzed how much they were eating, what they were eating of each. The live weight gains, not the live weight, but the weekly gains, which is, you know, how much more did they, they weigh this week over last week? How much, you know, are they growing? So the live weight gains as well as carcass weights and breast weights were lower for the birds in the choice treatment compared to the formulated treatment. Conversely, the feed conversion ratio was superior for the choice feed group. However, the yields didn't differ. Um, the cost of the choice feed ended up being lower than the formulated feed. So the choice feed ended up being $0.58 cents per kilogram. And we do kilograms because most of the world operates in, in the metric system. Uh, and the formulated feed was $0.66 cents per kilogram. So uh, $0.08 cents difference there. <clears throat> So this indicates, doesn't 
prove, but it points towards the need for additional research with additional breeds, uh, that choice feeding might be a great alternative for uh, free-range and organic production. Uh, it allows you to raise your own feed. Um, it helps you, and, and this research article did a good job of explaining nutrient cycling. So if you want to keep the nutrients on your farm, that means you you use their manure and the compost and use that compost to, to nourish your plants, and then those plants nourish your chickens. And it's a cycle on your farm, and you keep it all on the farm. And so um, a lot of people would love to go organic, and they like the concept of organic, but it's expensive, and that can be cost prohibitive to people. But if they're willing to really take the time to analyze choice feeding and uh, put themselves on a real serious learning curve on this, you too can do some choice feeding that may be beneficial to your meat chickens. Now, remember, this is meat chickens. This is not laying hens. I hope she does laying hens in her research, but um, that may be down the road. So, Keep your eyes and ears peeled, folks, for more research from this group. Um, this was a collaboration between Appalachian State University and the University of Arkansas. The University of Arkansas is also one of those big poultry schools. And this was also um, Appalachian State University of Arkansas and the USDA uh, lab re- um, poultry safety research unit there at uh, Arkansas, University of Arkansas. They do good research. And I think this is about when you'd like to take a commercial break, Andy, before I go into the last research article. Yeah, that's perfect. I'll do that. I know that it's, uh, we all know that's a big movement. We all know that people uh, often that uh, can't raise their backyard poultry for whatever reason, or they do, and they just uh, don't raise meat birds often look for a local source of pasture-raised meat birds that they can have. They're truly willing to pay that extra price. But, and and I I can look them up right now and probably pick out a a half a dozen organic items. And and in my cupboard, there's probably another half a dozen organic items. By no stretch of the imagination are we only organic. In fact, I have a whole chicken I'm getting ready to put in the pressure cooker for tonight, which is not organic. It was about six bucks at the store. Um, So we pick and choose when we can regarding the organic issue. Um, But what kind of um, ruffles my feathers uh, or or when you'll you'll mention something about it or an organic study or you'll post something about an organic study or a study about whatever and you've got these folks that, you know, they'll they'll all of a sudden want to point fingers, they'll blame, they'll get irate, they'll see a chicken truck, you know, take a picture of it and say, this is the problem. And, And, you know, I have to I walk that fine line and say, you know, I've said this a million times on the show, if I've said it one time, look at that chicken truck with the broilers going down the road. Okay, look at that and ask yourself, in your entire life, I don't care if you're four or 94, if you have ever eaten canned soup with chicken in it, if you have ever eaten at any mainstream restaurant like Applebee's or Outback or Longhorn or anywhere like that, um, Chili's, 
if you have ever bought chicken in any grocery store, for that matter, boneless, skinless breast, three nine, if you've ever bought a rotisserie chicken from any grocery in your entire life. I don't mean in the last couple of years when you're now this gung-ho um, vegan and organic and, and save the animals. What did you do five years ago? You were eating at Applebee's and you had a chicken breast dinner. Guess what? That truck right there, you're guilty, so I don't want to hear it. Okay? I don't care if now you've turned the, turned the leaf over and you're like, oh, the last two years I haven't eaten anything and I don't eat animals and I'm, I have nothing against that. More power to you if that's your beliefs while you're walking around in your leather shoes and driving a fancy car with leather seats, but you're not eating cows. That's, that's Now, hypocrisy. that's not everybody, Andy. And, and, I understand and I know, that. I know people have decisions that they have to make every day in their lives, but mm-hmm. I, I hope that your your listeners can appreciate that there is more and more research out there for um, alternative poultry production Uh, rather than it's all commercial, it's all commercial, it's all commercial. Not necessarily. That's why I pick and choose different articles to bring forth to your listeners because I I think their level of appreciation is higher for for this sort of of topic. So that's why I wanted to bring it to your listeners. No, I completely agree, and um, it just uh, over the years, you know, posting things, and then you'll have the folks come out and say, well, if you would just all go vegan, we wouldn't have to worry about this bird flu thing. Okay, that's just not realistic. Let's be realistic. And then the fact that that chicken truck is providing a very low-cost protein for people who don't make $22 an hour. Um, and uh, so it's just, you know, it's it's, it's more than just, uh, buy organic and everything will be fine. Or if everybody would just buy pasture raised, so we can get rid of factory farming. And you know, holy cow, if that's not an under you know underrated, you know. So that that's but we see it all the time. And then I, so I'll post things about organic. I'll post things other studies about you know um, the commercial farming and whatnot. And then you have to do so much correction on folks based on again misinformation that's out there about both of the way that people are, are providing poultry for or food for their family. So it's just interesting. But, I would, yeah, I wanted to share that. But, um, yeah, like I said, I got organic milk in the fridge. I got some organic food over here, that type of thing. But I got a chicken in there that's uh, far from it. <laughs> I'm putting in the pressure cooker tonight. So, And I think most people probably out there – to listen to the show because we have again a huge wide variety of, of fans. We've got vegans that keep chickens that don't eat the eggs, don't eat the meat. They keep them for all the other reasons. And we've got folks that are PETA members. We got folks that they're raising their chickens and eating them every single day. And and uh, so we try to keep well our posts too kind of diverse. But uh, if I post something and it doesn't quite meet their beliefs 100%, they got to let everybody know about it. So that's social media for you. But yeah, we'll take a break. We'll be back and uh, Dr. McCray will have another study with. With us, so uh, uh, keep jotting down those awesome notes. We'll be back right after this short break. Are you in the market for a new chicken coop? Want one that will outlast all the others? Then look no further than Urban Coop Company. All of their coops are made from appearance-grade western red cedar right here in the USA. Urban Coop Company coops are designed to be both beautiful and functional. I invite you to visit their website to learn about the many features of their coops and check out their integrated coop accessories that will make your life easier. They're passionate about building great coops because they know you're passionate about your backyard chickens. Visit their website at urbancoopcompany.com. That's urbancoopcompany.com. Do you provide a heat source for your backyard chickens in the winter? In most cases, it's not necessary. 
but if you choose to provide a heat source for your backyard chickens, it's imperative to use a safe and effective heat source, and the only one I recommend is the Sweeter Heater. The Sweeter Heater is a safe, completely sealed, washable, non-breakable, energy-efficient, long-lasting and reliable specific area heater that comes with a three-year warranty. Ditch the dangerous heat lamp this season and invest in the only heater I recommend, the Sweeter Heater. Purchase the Sweeter Heater online at SweeterHeater.com. That's SweeterHeater.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. At Kambach Feeds, our layer pellets and crumbles are all natural, antibiotic-free with no animal byproducts. Formulated just for laying hens, our feed is fortified with essential amino acids and calcium to ensure maximum production of nutritious, tasty, strong-shelled eggs. From our family to yours, Feed your hens the way nature intended. Pure, wholesome, goodness. Kalmbach Feeds. Find a dealer at kalmbachfeeds.com. That's K-A-L-M-B-A-C-H, feeds.com. Or order your layer pellets and crumples today on Amazon.com. Kalmbach Feeds is a proud sponsor of The Chicken Whisperer. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer here to tell you that if you have backyard poultry, nothing is more important than making sure your feathered friends are safe from infectious poultry diseases. Learn the simple steps to keep your birds healthy by visiting this website, healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. That's healthybirds.aphis.usda.gov. A message from the USDA. All righty. Thank you very much for staying with us today on Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer brought to you by Kalmbach Feeds. I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to the totally free digital edition of Chicken Whisperer Magazine by going to chickenwhisperermagazine.com and clicking on the tab at the top for free digital publication. And if you're one, and there's many of you that just like to have a touchy-feely real magazine to sit back in your easy chair on a Saturday afternoon and learn more about your backyard hobby flock, yeah, well, it's a great resource. It's $9.95 per year. So uh, check it out, chickenwhispermagazine.com. 
talking today with uh, Dr. Bridget McRae, and uh, got some great folks in the chat room we're chatting with. In fact, uh, I've got to do a little uh, inside joke here for the uh, folks over in the uh, chat room for Brighton and uh, Laura, and I want, I'm curious to see if they remember this. It's just a phrase but I'm curious if they remember. I'm pretty sure that Christina will. So uh, I looked, and I don't have it in my file anymore, so I'm just going to say it out loud. But uh, if Brighton and Laura are listening, here's something that might bring back some memories. Price line negotiator. <laughs> oh, that was good times. All right, let me get back over to the phone lines, and we will bring back on Dr. McRae. Welcome back, Doc. Hello. All righty. Well, so, uh, I, we got one more to wrap up with, I think. Yeah, I I found this article, and there is a group in Italy that is doing some really way totally awesome cool stuff. That I'm totally jealous about, but I'm excited to share with you guys. Um, it's the University of Perugia, Italy, and so if there's any um, Italian-speaking poultry scientists out there, young feel free to to hop on airplane and go to this school because they got some cool stuff going on there. Um, so this is the transfer of bioactive compounds from pasture to meat in organic free-range chickens. Uh, okay. What? I said okay. Okay. Um, the aim of this study was to see if the good bioactive compounds in the pasture is actually uh, that the pasture the chickens are eating is actually ending up in the body and the meat of mm-hmm. these organic free-range chickens which you've yeah. heard me talk time and again you know some sometimes we say oh look the chickens are out there and it's better for them all right what do you mean by better well they're eating the grass And what do I always say? I say, well, we don't know if they're getting anything beneficial from the grass. Well, finally, somebody heard me. (laughs) And there's some data out there now. So um, they used organic free-range chickens to see if those compounds that they're eating has an effect on the oxidative process of the meat. Uh, They used kind of an unusual breed, and this may... Uh, ring a bell for some of you they use naked neck chickens and you know here in the united states the majority of our chickens are not naked necks but for some reason they chose naked necks they used 100 male naked neck chickens and they started at day 21 of age they split them into two groups an indoor group and an outdoor group and they both had the same amount of indoor space Uh, But the birds that had outdoor forage or a paddock to go into had uh, 10 meters per square, uh, 10 square meters per bird of outdoor space. Um, They kept raising them from day 21 all the way through to day 81. And they collected blood samples. They also looked at the carcasses. Uh, They also went out there and looked at the specific forage that the chickens were eating. So they went out there and they they put down like a one meter uh, section and they collected all of the pasture grasses with scissors all the way down to the ground and collected those pasture grasses 
and identified all the pasture species that were in there. And they also analyzed that pasture to see if it, you know, what it contained. Um, so the grass samples had um, high values of carotenoids, not surprising, tocopherols and flavonoids. And, you know, when you compare that to standard feed on a dry matter basis, you know, that's what you would expect because you're comparing indoor and outdoor at this point. Uh, polyunsaturated fatty acids have a really kind of cool acronym, P-U-F-A or PUFA. So PUFAs are um, also greater in the grass, particularly the N3 series or the omega-3 series because the that's what a lot of people are looking at when they buy certain feeds. They they want to have a good ratio of N3 and N6 polyundersaturated fatty acids or PUFAs. Um, the antioxidant profile of the grass improved the antioxidant status in the crop and also the gizzard contents for those chickens that had outdoor access. Well, that makes sense because the first stop when you eat grass for a chicken is the crop followed shortly thereafter by the gizzard. And so these chickens had higher antioxidant intakes, um, which translated to a higher plasma concentration of antioxidants uh, in the outdoor birds versus the indoor birds. Um, something that's called T-bars or thiobarbituric acid, reactive substance or T-bars, um, as well as the antioxidant capacity of the, of the blood plasma were better in the outdoor birds than the indoor bird group. Um, and T-bars, I had to educate myself on a little bit. Um, T-bars has to do with lipid peroxidase and, and free radical removal. And um, so those birds that are able to go outside have uh, a little bit more benefits there. The meat of the birds that had access to the outdoors had higher levels of antioxidants, um, particularly the tocopherols and the tocotrienols. And even though there were higher antioxidant uh, protection in the drumstick in the outdoor group, um, the T-bars was also greater, probably because the birds move around a lot more, and the higher and there was a higher percentage of PUFAs in um in the in the drumstick. Well um you know the drumstick is great. Most kids like the drumstick, it's easy to handle, but that's not the breast meat, which is the real high value part of this whole deal, but I'll get there in just a minute. Um okay. the grazing improved the nutritional value of the meat. You had um a better higher level of uh, N3 PUFAs and a better ratio between the N6 and N3 PUFAs. And there was only a little negative effect on the oxidative stability, okay? So, you know, they want to kind of look at this some more, you know, t 
taking a look at how the birds move in the in the pasture system to see if it should be studied and, and see if the way the birds are moving or using the space can be analyzed to see if they can reduce any of those negative effects, uh, which is a good way for a researcher to kind of look at the next step. Um, see the breast meat which is the major cut of meat there was no significant difference at all in the um the pufas even though you were comparing indoor and outdoor birds so there just wasn't any significant difference so you know it's good that they were looking at different parts of the bird i think this story is a great first step in the direction uh, this research group is doing some really cool and interesting things with naked neck chickens, and I think if they continue this way awesome work, they will have a really cool story to tell all of us as this research continues. But there you go, Andy. I thought I would share that with you. Um, some Italian chickens doing doing some cool research there. Yeah, I like my chicken with a little bit of Italian dressing as a as a um, <laughs> as a marinade. So yeah. What are we all missing in not eating our naked neck chickens? I wonder. I wonder. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always good to uh, have you on. But when when you come on and you have those studies that we talk about, that's always cool too. A lot of them are really fascinating, and you think, who thought about doing a study about that? Or you know, or you know. <laughs> It's like uh, okay, who uh, whoever's doing this study, what what kind of trickery do they do they have in mind, or what are they what are they what's their goal here, and you know, or, or even more so, you know, what what can I in my backyard, how can I use this study or these studies to help my smaller backyard flock? So, um, yeah, that's always cool. When you out, one of my favorite shows is when you come on and we do, you know, poultry research translated because some of them are just so fascinating. You just kind of your jaw drops. Like when I I got to take a little uh, seminar with a professor at uh, Auburn University, and um, and I've, I've shared his information on tour the last couple of tours about. Um, you know, uh, the chick, you know, uh, as soon as you can get them after they hatch uh, onto layer feed and water, uh, not layer feed, what am I saying, starter and water, is that they can um, then you, instead of relying on the yolk that they absorb uh, before hatch, instead of relying on that to just survive. Um, you know, once they hatch out and they're all fluffy and they're walking around and searching and hey, get them in that brooder, get them on the chick starter, get them on the water, and then they can utilize the chick starter in the water to survive and live for nutrition, and then they use that yolk for long-term uh, disease resistance and health and antibody, kind of like a mother's milk, if you will, the colostrum, and yeah. they've noticed seen a, a um, healthier healthier birds healthier long you know disease resistance and, and immune system benefits for that so just, just stuff that like that's just uh, fascinating to me it's really really cool so this one that's why this is one of my favorite shows because then I'm thinking how can I use that in my backyard flock you know this may be that may have been done for commercial but how can I do this in, in my backyard so thanks for coming on and sharing that and I'm sure we'll be monitoring the the um outbreak right now with avian influenza and like i was talking about it earlier just kind of reviewed while you were 
covering uh, some studies and over break. There's not any updates over on the APHIS website. And right now, currently, from what I posted yesterday, about about 400,000 birds have uh, been depopulated. And right now, it's contained in eight out of the 10 barns that were tested right now, uh, low path. Eight were low path. One was high path. And one, I guess, is still out or undetermined. Uh, no area birds have apparently come down to have tested positive. I'm sure they're still waiting for those tests to come in, though. And uh, that one big flock of chickens that were on the same uh, property, uh, very close to the turkeys, 155,000 layers, they apparently tested negative, but they were like a just-in-case, uh, be-on-the-safe-side type of an issue. Those were uh, depopulated as well. So we'll be monitoring that, and if we get any information, then we'll let folks uh, know about it. But we're not out of the woods yet. There's still spring to come as well. Uh, and uh, with birds start flying back and going back through the flyways, there's all that, that increase again. So we're kind of just getting into the uh, time of, of be, to be vigilant and uh, maybe increase our biosecurity, especially if you live around an outbreak. So, But, Dr. McRae, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate it, and we'll see you back here um, next month. We'll see you in February. I believe February 4th uh, is the next time we have you scheduled, and we look forward to having you on then. All right. Thanks. Hey, thank you very much for coming on. And, uh, folks, if you didn't know, Dr. McRae joins us on the first and third Thursday of every month. She has uh, topics like uh, today, uh, poultry research translated. She talks about biosecurity a lot. We talk about uh, other studies and findings. We'll have call-ins a lot of time and um, ask the doctor, and and we'll have um, different topics we talk about uh, as well. So it's always a fun time when she can come on. Uh, as always, thank you very much for tuning in. This is our last show for the week. We're hoping to return next Tuesday, but that show may either be rescheduled or possibly canceled. But we know next Thursday, guess what? Next Thursday, yep, Peter Brown is going to be with us, the chicken doctor. So you want to mark your calendar for that next Thursday. Always love it when Peter can come on as well. Uh, and the next Tuesday, we may reschedule that to uh, possibly Wednesday, because I believe Tuesday I will be on the road. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But thanks for tuning in. You can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash The Chicken Whisperer. We can uh, uh, see what we're doing over on Twitter. Uh, it's the, uh, I guess, the at sign, Backyard Poultry. And then the magazine website, chickenwhisperer.com. And then our main, uh, sorry, chickenwhisperermagazine.com. And then, of course, our main website where you can, um, again, order the book, go to the magazine. That's free. Uh, see our upcoming Florida tour. I've got five stops in Florida coming up in February. We've got book signings. We'll have uh, workshops, all kinds of freebies. It's going to be fun times there. You can get those dates and times over at chickenwhisperer.com. So thanks very much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. God bless everybody. Oh, my God.